Chicago-based brokerage K&L Freight launches subsidiary to focus on trucking freight futures. Barry Bannister, Stiefel's Prophet of Doom. Key takeaways from Stiefel's private equity and venture capital panel. LTL carrier New England Motor Freight to shut down after filing for bankruptcy protection. Self-driving truck startup Too Simple raises 95 million, breaks unicorn barrier. I'm Zach. And I'm Chad. And we are visited by another guest today, Michael Crosby. Say hello. Hello. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, don't be so enthusiastic. <laughs> um, hey, we are, uh, we're, we're all drinking the same brew. Thank you. A uh, shout out to, uh, to um, John Bose uh, getting the freight alley at HQ2 underway. Uh, we have some uh, some brews over there, and we are having uh, a Hutton and Smith promenade. Ooh. Redwood Logistics is one of the nation's fastest-growing logistics providers, fueled by industry-leading technology and a passionate team of experts. From multimodal brokerage and dedicated truckload to third-party logistics and TMS consulting, implementation, and integration, Redwood Logistics delivers next-generation solutions for its clients and much more than a truckload. So uh, th this is an exciting way for us to start off an exciting uh, episode. And why is it exciting, guys? Because we've been calling an audible here. JP had to, um, again, um, his, his JP, we're thinking about you uh, and, your, and um, your sick daughter who is thrown up and you have had to call an audible and um, are at home right now. But one of the things that JP has done for us while we're thinking about JP is that he went to the Stiefel Conference and boy did he have a lot of awesome coverage for us this week, which is feeding some of our headlines so uh to begin so what what can happen like when uh you have to call a sudden audible um please stay tuned right now because sparks are gonna fly it is gonna be crazy right now uh and it's not because of the promenade we're drinking but here's what we've got here with these two market experts in-house we have got an ability to give you our listener the weekly market update we have got some yin and yang what do i mean yin and yang well We've got the Sultan of Sonar, Zach Strickland, giving us uh, the carrier's perspective of what is happening uh, here in the middle of February, Valentine's Day, showing us some love. And on the other end of the spectrum, we'll call him the Yang, is Michael, the wonderful wizard of Crosby, giving us the shipper's uh, perspective. So, hey, what could go wrong? These are the two ends of the spectrum. So what, what are you guys seeing? Zach, why don't you lead us off? Carriage perspective, you know, overview, what's happened this week? So, thank you for that exciting introduction. <laughs> wow. Hopefully, I'm excited. I mean, wow, I, I feel I the energy. Hide it. I mean, you literally just pulled me out from my nap over there to, to, to join in today, but I'll, I'll do my best. So, yeah, the carriers this week, well, wait, I'll give you a freight overview. So, mm -hmm. this week, it's kind of like February, I, you know, everybody kind of, everything's cold, winter, storms flying across the Midwest. Not a lot. Not right. a lot of huge activity. A uh, lot happened in the Sierras. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. The Sierra, the Sierra Mountains, Seattle. Interesting fun fact: this snowier winter than Boston so far. Whoa! That yeah, is an interesting yeah. fun fact. The backhaul market becomes that much more back. Yeah, nobody yep. really wants to go in there now. <laughs> 
so, but at the okay. same time, we did see some activity up in the Pacific Northwest. Hmm. Uh, normally, this is the time of year where all the freight kind of fizzles out, doesn't go into the, the Northwest at all. Nothing comes right. out of there. The, all the agriculture is done. Well, certainly all the agriculture is, is done now because it's covered in snow. Uh, it doesn't. Right. <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, it never snows in the Seattle uh, metro. You probably don't know that. No, and I think it's, uh, and this is kind of a, a sad uh, fact that I, I, I heard in California, um, thousands of dairy cows have died in the snow because they could not be, um, they would not move as the wow. snow was coming yeah. in. They would not be moved. And so what went, they said, for now it's like they're in a situation where it went from heartbreak, watching all the cows die. Now it's a hazard. They're having to figure out how to um you know, get move, remove the move cows. Move the cows. That is not funny. <laughs> this is a. Tr- this is yeah. a. T- <laughs> well, this is what we get yeah, when we get Crosby. It's his inaugural debut. I would think the say. cows would stay somewhat refrigerated while they're, you know, thinking about what they're going to do. That's with a positive spin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it literally so, is crowned. Still saved the two percent uh, there. Oh I don't gosh. Know. Okay. okay. Um, so anyway, the market carrier's itself. Carrier's perspective. Yeah, so this this is the time of year where kind of the freight volumes die out. It gets cold. It's hard to kind of move around the northern tier of the country. Volumes have been flat <laughs> since the beginning of February. They stayed flat this week. Um, you know, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. The fact that it hasn't gone down any further is actually yeah. good news for, for carriers because that means that Things couldn't get worse. No. Strange. <laughs> no. Actually, they could. No, they can Watch get worse, out 2016. But they, right? they haven't. Uh, in and fact, as we've been talking about, guys, so we're at historic lows of uh, tender rejection rates, yep. uh, a technical term we don't often um, throw <laughs> at our podcast listeners, but I, I'm going to assume that they understand that or you guys can can uh, can clarify it. But, so, but with those historic lows, rates aren't historically low. Now, the market is still relatively uncertain over uh, what, what to do with this situation because they've just uh-huh. come out of a super volatile year and a half. Um, we are seeing rates kind of go back into a more normal pattern, okay. uh, but they're not dipping down below like what you would normally see this time of year. And like, no one seems to know what is going to happen in 2019, right? It's, it's going to be a weird... Huge yeah. amounts of questions over the tariff, the economy. Right. Some of the stuff we're going to cover here coming up uh, has to do with all that kind of investor sentiment and all that kind of stuff, so... Meanwhile, though, Cros, it's a shipper's paradise. Shipper's paradise. In corner number two, Crosby with the shipper's debut. So, uh, right? yeah, the shippers, I think, from my vantage point, it's a great time to be a shipper. I mean, we were looking at uh, just Atlanta. Uh, this time last year, I think uh, rejection rates were um, 23% higher than they are now. So our our carrier rejection rate essentially is like carrier sentiment. So um, the lower it is, the less likely you are as a shipper to get a load rejected. So, So shippers love limbo. Why do they love limbo? Well, I don't know if it's limbo or just, you know, you've got, you know, four loads for eight trucks or whoever has the lower number I think is going to win. Well, I meant like how low can you go? How low can you go? Well... I was looking at interest rates today, and I'm thinking, you know, they're never going to get to negative. Nobody's ever going to pay you to, you know, go get a house. But they can go, you know, <laughs> don't ever say how much lower can it go, especially if you're double downing on a, a questionable stock. But, you know, things things could get a little bit lower, but I don't, I don't really think they'll get that much lower as far as, you know, tender rejections. It's about as low as it can go. 
You're not going to have a negative Tinder rejection, is essentially right. what he's saying. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, but you can go free, right? I mean, you can... Oh, if they, accept the... one, they can only accept 100% of the loads. So you can only yes. have a 0%. Yes, you uh, can't, right. uh, like the old person says, I'm going to give 110%. Yeah. Okay. Mm, not possible. Yeah. Not <laughs> Although we happen. hear that an awful yeah. lot. <laughs> uh, sure okay, so you're thinking maybe as low as we can go, carriers, oddly enough, maybe feeling slightly bullish in spite of uh, where they're standing right sure. now. Sure. I mean, for rates, that could happen. But, I mean, as far as rejections, it's kind of like oil, if we could, for a moment. There's a there's a, a min-max kind of where it stays between uh, as far as the cost per barrel. So mm -hmm. I think below, what would you say, Zach, 30 bucks, 40 bucks a, a barrel, they're yeah, just going to shut down production. So oh, I think right. it's, Yeah, it's typically right. they start shutting them down below 40 even though I right. think some of the more efficient wells are around $25. So if carriers are going to take a, uh, you know, a load at a loss, I mean, sometimes if you're an owner-operator, I would just, you know, park my truck for the weekend instead of, you know, taking the loss. So, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. sort of sobering. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> hey. So they can only go so low is the theory, such as we're standing at it. And, you know, one of the things, guys, that, you know, um, we've been talking a little bit about the Freight Futures, which is uh, going to be launched in just over a month on March the 29th. And so we have been taking our show on the road. This week we have been in Houston. We have been in Dallas, right? And where are we going to be next week? Uh, oh, uh, threw us a curveball. St. Louis? Uh, St. Louis. No, 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 we're going to be here. We're going to be back uh, in Atlanta and Chattanooga. This just in. Um, it, it's going to be Atlanta. The Freight Futures Roadshow is going to be Atlanta, February the 18th. That is uh, Monday, as I, as I believe. Then Chattanooga, February the 21st. And then Detroit on February the 28th. So if you can't make one of the shows live and in person, of course, you can always go to FreightWaves.com and check it out. We stream these things live as well. And lots of people are tuning in, trying to learn a little bit more, uh, you know, each and every day about what this is all about. One brokerage in particular um, that is really paying attention to, uh, to what is going on. Uh, and, and they're excited. They're jumping in with both feet is uh, the Chicago-based brokerage K&L Freight. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're saying that, like, you know, this is a risk management 101 about this. So they're thinking from a, from a broker's point of view. And now we're, we're set. We've, we've talked a little carry. We've talked a little shipper. Now we're going to talk a little brokers. Broker. What, what is the role of the broker in the futures market? Well, K&L is saying this is risk management 101. Um, he's they're saying, like, if you're a carrier that faces a carrier that faces cash flow issues because of spot rate volatility, you need to take a serious look at the opportunity. But three PLs, in other words, brokerages, um, these providers, they're exposed to both ends. And those brokerages that don't participate will lose the competitive advantages very quickly. And this is sort of why, as profitability shifts from volume to efficiency. Yeah. Interesting. Mm, yeah. See, so now, like, the brokers effectively have been having a lot of what their volume plays. Like, uh, the C.H. Robinsons of the world, they're not necessarily excited about you know, going out there and playing the spot market every day. They're, they're basically trying to accumulate a bunch of yeah. transactions, a lot of a big, strong base of customers that, you know, it doesn't have to make 20% margins. They can make 2% margins. Uh, as long as they have these volume plays out there, the, the amount of volume is going to drive that profitability over time just because of the sheer volume. Think uh, Walmart. So, 
Yeah, so basically, hmm. when, you're, when you're talking about efficiency, you're going to get the most bang for your buck. So as the, you know, the market kind of shifts up and down, that creates a lot of inefficiency. Um, we had a super right. inefficient market in but the last year and a half. So, <laughs> so, yeah, but, and so what is making it more efficient is, um, you know, it, so, so I guess once upon a time, and I haven't been in the industry, you know, to go back to the dark ages, but it seems <laughs> like, um, uh, you know, brokers sort of relied on the darkness, the, the non-transparency, yeah. the, the ability to be able to, like, take advantage of, like, what people were feeling or intuiting or kind of, and, and now it's going to be super visible and it's going to be super up to date. Yeah. So how, how, how is, how does that play? <clears throat> it's the difference between what volumes and efficiency is what they're saying. Yeah. So, so. I mean, I never thought I would sit here and defend a broker, but I've always said, too, even working for a carrier, if a carrier had great communication skills and great customer service, uh, brokers probably wouldn't be necessary. So what brokers bring to the table a lot is technology and relationships and backhaul opportunities for carriers that shippers normally wouldn't be able to provide. Um, Sure. And so, yeah, I think a lot of the times the bigger bigger guys are playing like – well, you know, with, it doesn't matter how much you do, 50000 a year, but with our volume, you'll be able to get, you know, these deep discounts on, um, you know, on your freight spend, basically. Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, so that is why the uh, the very database, their their K and L freight, um, they they, they uh, you know they've been around for um, I think the better part of three decades or at least two if I'm not mistaken. Um, but they recently, over the past couple of years, made an unusual move for a large brokerage, and they they decided to jump on board the technology train, and now they are in with both feet. Supporting and excited about the uh, this uh, futures um, exchange, which is coming up. So exciting stuff! Thinking about it from that point of view. Now, from sort of like you know, uh, now our um, correspondent JP and you know and and regular <laughs> co-host so here on What the Truck was at the Stiefel conference, living it up in Miami um, in, in an ocean view suite. I mean, life is hard. Um, We're but, not better, <laughs> but not. At all, but uh, uh, he was uh, pumping out um, some uh, some interesting stuff that he was seeing, and, and one of the one of the really interesting um, uh, well articles here that we have, but I think things that he attended um, was uh, what he what we have. Um, the headline is Barry Bannister, Bannister Stiefel's Prophet of Doom, um, and uh, you know apparently. Now this is the thing that's the, the shocking the shocking headline is uh, or the shock is um, Bannister sees the S and P five hundred likely as being weak for the next decade. What wow. are you guys making of this, Zach? You are a price guru. <laughs> what are you doing with this uh, with this uh, interesting uh, evaluation of the markets? Like it's 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 something to to call a soft 2019, but it's another thing to go ten, to go ten years yeah. deep with it. Um, you know, he 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 makes some good points uh, about what we're seeing in the market currently, but to to call a ten year you know, kind of slowing is is very aggressive and almost I, I don't I don't want to say irresponsible, but I mean, is it almost like predicting <clears throat> the weather? Yeah, I mean I don't. 
like the fact that the market is so there's so much information in today's markets uh, that changes so rapidly. The geopolitical yeah. environment is like yeah, constantly that's moving. That's true. You're going to see these fluctuations. The market doesn't just go up and to the right all the time, nor does it go down and to the right all the time. You know, it's it's and it's it takes stair steps. You have these expansions, contractions, uh, all the time. So it's. Well, I am not a financial analyst, so I can't barely absorb all of the, um, the the detailed, you know, reasoning behind it. But if people are interested in this in the subject, I would suggest, um, you know, hitting this um, pretty complex analysis that Bannister offered in um, what JP was calling, you know, just uh, you know a. A really a virtuosic presentation on the outlook of the S and P five hundred. Well, well, also Bannister also said in there that uh, you can expect a four to five percent return. Four to five percent compound yeah, compound annual return total return on, right? on the S and P. So that's not that's not the worst. That's not as doom and gloom as it may sound. I mean, four to five percent isn't. It ain't it ain't eight to ten. It's not right? going to blow you apart, but it's also you know he's basically saying that the market is going to revert to a more value setting versus you know, kind of an emotional, okay. like, sentiment like we've had over the last few sure. years. Um, and we, there was a chart on there that compared as well, reality versus what was projected. And yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, is we are one month away from being the bottom of the S&P. I think the bottom down in March of 2009. So just as they say, it mm-hmm. takes a lot less time for something to fall and go up. I mean, mm-hmm. it's been going up for almost 10 years, one sh- month shy of 10 years now. We could see some pullbacks, but overall, I mean, it's not realistic to say. I think somebody told us last year that the truck rates were going to go down, Zach, and I knew you'd have an opinion on this. But it's just like saying, this month we're going to have a rainbow in Hawaii. It's probably going to be sunny this year. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to happen. You know, you're going to be right. right. The more you know, the more vague you're going to be, the more you're going to be right about it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you. Can, I mean, certainly we've already seen some softening in the market and stuff. Government shutdowns and all are kind of inhibiting GDP growth in first quarter, but everybody likes to do this recency bias. You know, it's like what I've seen most recently. I want to apply moving forward. Like if Whoa. you look, if you look at any kind of like predictive modeling, most yeah. of it has some. It values what's happening currently, which is actually the right move more than what has happened in the past. Recency bias. You know, you're always going to get educated on what the truck, (laughs) you you know, like everybody, that's that's the takeaway of the day, I think. Uh, You know, it's been raining in Chattanooga. Feels like it's going to keep raining. Keep raining forever. Yeah, it's not going to stop. But uh, so, okay, guys, you're just um, basically blowing Bannister's theory out of the water. Um, All right. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, easy for you to say. No, yeah. uh, uh, no. Uh, there we'll was be back in ten years yeah. <laughs> to, to tell us how it all went exactly. down. Um, uh, let's see. Well, uh, also there were some interesting key takeaways from uh, Stiefel's private equity and uh, venture capital panel. And you know, we're always trying to you know keep you up on tech trends and also venture capital acquisitions and sometimes, unfortunately, bankruptcies. But um, this is uh, this was um, one of the uh, interesting um, you know panels that JP covered. Um, Zach, let's let you uh, you know again. You're digging you're di- you're digging you some uh, some pricing. Oh, this is the financial <laughs> markets, man. I oh, love. I just love the way you eat it up. I was I was a 
I was a finance major. I that's mean, true. That's, that's kind of what I'm, I, I, I know. And a psychology minor. What an interesting combo. Hence the recency bias. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, oh, what a great combo. So, yeah. So, essentially what this panel covered was, uh, you know, kind of the, the proclivity for people to, to start turning more towards private equity company investing versus right. going public. Which the difference is going I've been public. Hearing about that. Yeah, going public is like you know, say we wanted to go public, we would have an IPO, an initial public offering. We would then go to a stock market, Nasdaq, you know, or, yep. or something like that, and you would have numerous investors. Everybody would have a chance to buy some of our stock. With private equity groups, there's essentially just a few people inside the group itself. Now they will sell parts of their stuff sure. off, like okay. it, they'll, it'll, you know. But the true ownership will be with the private equity group itself. <clears throat> Why? And yeah, and uh, as I was studying a little bit of fintech and uh, freight tech trends a few weeks ago, um, I was my understanding uh, from what the analysts are predicting in 2019 is that there probably won't be many IPOs in fintech. There may be a couple. Um, so, so is that? I mean, what's like what? Why would a company Company, you know, what's the advantage between um, going public in today's current, uh, you know, climate as as opposed to staying private equity? So, so going public means that you're exposed to the entire market. So anybody that wants to buy stock can on an exchange. Private equity groups, they're just a few right. people. But it's the difference between a corporation and a private ownership. So in a corporation, everybody that has ownership has some sort of say in what that company does. They have an, an intrinsic sure, sure. duty. But like, what's the, the, the actual advantage in, in the current climate, do you oh. think? Like, do you think, is, is it the volatility that we're seeing? Yeah, we're, I mean, I mean I, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because you have, like I was gonna say, the uh, you have a duty to the stockholders, the shareholders when you're public, to increase that stock price. Which doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right move for the company itself. Okay. Uh, sometimes you you value the short-term benefit over the long-term gain, et, et cetera, just to make sure that your stock price keeps going up. Therefore, you know, and and it's very hard to manage that balance um, if you're a CEO. So a lot of these CEOs, and this is one of the things that they were talking about in there. Yeah. Uh, some of these CEOs really don't like to answer to multiple people. They were they were they really no. kind of cited the visionary CEO, which is kind of their code word for. It kind of eccentric, probably a little bit more difficult to deal with. Um, yeah. Uh, do you have to worry more about the bean counters, such as they say, if you go publicly traded? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. You have all these governing rules. What and about SEC uh, Sarbanes-Oxley movements <laughs> and auditors <laughs> running around? Huh? Yeah, you have Sarbanes-Oxley. Thank you, Enron, um, for, for all that. But the uh, kind of the big value for the, the company itself is that now they only have to deal with a small group of people versus basically everyone. Uh, yeah. And a lot of these private equity groups have a lot of experience in kind of helping some of these companies move along. Now, I personally have had some private equity group experience in my uh -huh. previous life okay. that was less than positive. Right. So it's not all a barrel of sunshine. Um, you yeah, can I mean, get... obviously people go IPO for, I mean, you know, companies go IPO for a reason and it always seems like a big day of celebration. And... Well, there's a lot of money there. there, yeah. there there's probably a lot more upside in the short run. Uh, with an IPO going public, you're going to raise a lot more money probably in that outset. Okay. Whereas a private equity, you're you're going to be probably because you're going to get one dollar value that day and you're done. <laughs> 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, your price will, you know, will hopefully go up over time, but it'll go up on the market, on the private market. It won't be in share value that fluctuates with the market itself. Like the S&P 500 going up will not impact your price. <laughs> so in so, to some extent, it is it is like it, it's like timing is everything. Mm -hmm. Is that is that so timing is everything. If you time the market right, you probably want to go IPO. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sort of like the time is right for the freight futures market for a number <laughs> of reasons. But we'll we'll quit hammering away at that. And let's hit uh, let's hit our last couple of headlines here. Um, well, a big headline that we just started off the week with in a crazy kind of way. <clears throat> um, surprisingly, no one was seeing this coming. Uh, the 19th largest LTL carrier in the nation, and certainly a very large one in the New New England area, was uh, New England Motor Freight in EMF. And they um, just declared that there was no other way around it, and that they were declaring bankruptcy. Guys, what do we make about this disruption? How is the region going to, is it going to be disrupted? If so, how much? If so, how are they going to recover? I think I think the main disruption is going to be the New England Motor Freight's customers, uh, and and that will essentially be the end of it. Because from their point of view, they've been dealing with New England Motor Freight. They had a relationship with them. They know where their terminals are. They're they're going to get the cover. They know the drivers. They know the account representatives. All this kind of stuff. And it's four hundred million dollars in annual revenue. Yeah, that's a lot of customers. Well, LTL revenue is also a little bit inflated over truckloads yes. uh, because you that it, out. Is, it Lots is more of expensive. Uh, they're operating in a super expensive region, the New England region, very difficult to operate in. Uh, not only just cost of living, the drivers cost more, the dock workers cost more, the back office costs more. Very educated population up there. So you have a lot of people that have you know gone to college and are expecting top dollar for their effort. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. But An educated also, market is is another headwind. Yeah, it is. Huh. It's very. It's actually. It was. It used to be quite a big deal to like try to hire people in Connecticut, for instance, for us in our in our old position because uh, everybody up there like you, you didn't have this you know huge amount of people that wanted to drive a truck <laughs> in right. New England um, yeah. or operate on a dock for what we thought would have been around twenty-five to thirty dollars an hour. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently, some of the feedback we got as we released this uh, article, um, one driver said he was only making seventeen dollars an hour. Yeah, and there is a difference for there. NEMF. That, that twenty-five to thirty had health and welfare in it, which is not just a straight dollar per hour value. That includes okay. like twenty-seven percent, essentially, of like your benefits and all that kind of stuff. But also, I was quoting an, a Class A driver, which ah. a lot of these LTL guys can get away with a Class B license, especially in the uh, in the um, kind of the smaller P&D environment because they're driving a smaller truck. They'll drive straight trucks, for instance, which is yeah. not your 53-foot trailer. You know, it's a 28-footer at tops. Um, that's like a U-Haul. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. A big U-Haul. So the sky's not falling and, you know, like for the, the, the freight show will go on. Um, but it's more disruptive when an LTL company goes bankrupt than a typical carrier going from point A to point B. Why? Well, because truckload guys, they, they only go point A to point B. LTL goes from point A to point B to point C to point D and maybe sometimes point E and F and G, <laughs> you know. And, and <laughs> going they, all the way down the alphabet. And they have networks. And instead of yeah. just thinking about, well, I have a trailer because a truckload uh, carrier charges for the entire trailer. An LTL carrier has to think about how do I fill up that trailer? <laughs> and that can be multiple shippers. Um, so they have to go make multiple stops. Um, and that's that's not easy to do. That's very inefficient. So if they don't have enough freight to move, 
they won't, you know, it's they lose a lot of money. Um, yeah, yeah. So what it sounded like here is that these guys just their costs got away from them. Um, they also got into apparently some uh, difficult contracts with some uh, shippers that um, were squeezing them really tight and they couldn't get out of the contracts. One of whom, one of which uh, was uh, Amazon. Sorry, uh-huh. Amazon, having to give you a little more negative press. Um, <laughs> you've been a lot in the press of late as you take over the world. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, uh, and so what, what these shippers might see, increased rates after all. Might want to think about being a little more flexible. Yeah, no, I think a lot of the time when these LTL carriers get in trouble, uh, as I have been a pricing guy for LTL care, yeah. the, the kind of management yeah. starts panicking a little bit and saying, well, we just need to get freight on the truck so that we can... Con- oh, yeah. So we're not losing money with dead space on the truck. The problem with that yeah. is that you have to have somebody pay for that truck at some point. So if you're pricing to fill the truck the whole time, which means that it costs me $500 to run the truck. I'm just pricing to where I fill it, fill it up with $300 just so I can not lose $500. Yeah. You're still losing $200. <laughs> yeah, I think the disruption will be um, pricing, but also maybe some service changes like Old Dominion. We talked about them yeah. in the Northeast. I mean, they've got terminals in different locations. So um, the changeover from a truckload carrier is just, unfortunately, it's a commodity. You've got mm-hmm. thousands of carriers, point A to point B, lowest bidder gets it kind of thing, because there's not a whole lot of service that goes on. Where LTL, they have, you know, a lot of different facets to, you know, what specialty they have. If they have lift gates, two-man delivery, uh, they go to a certain area, you know. It's a, yeah, it's a lot outbound, more. Outbound, inbound, you know, there's a lot more specialty that goes along Absolutely. There. Like, uh, your, your, even your customer base has a big impact. Say I go ma- mostly to uh, Home Depots and Lowe's. <laughs> Whoa. And, or, or, maybe I, yeah, or maybe I go mostly to uh, strip malls or something like that. Or, or maybe I just mm-hmm. have an account with Target. Um, these are in different places. So if I'm having to make, because they're making stops all over the place on routes, whereas like a truckload carrier really doesn't care what kind of dock it's going to as long as it's going to a dock. Oh, yeah, right. Um, yeah, um, these okay. LTL guys, if you get too far out of their boundaries or their normal networks, it, it totally disrupts their network. So New England Motor Freight might be the frog in the water that's the, you know, the heat's been turning up on for a couple decades now where you have a new incumbent or a new carrier come in. They might see these contracts and say, nope, you know, there might be a lot of negotiation. Uh, there, you mean they, there might have been just like this slow boil of increased competition? Sure. Well, no, I mean, if they've <clears throat> increased, well, do this, do that. Every year they maybe lose a little bit of their edge. So when you have a new carrier like, say, an Old Dominion or, um, you know, an Estes or whatever that's up there. Um, they might look at these contracts that kind of hurt New England and say, I don't think so. You know, we're going to renegotiate some of these things for sure. And not, wow, which, okay, interesting. Yeah. But, but yeah. not to be lost in all this, all the employees, uh, the former employees at New England Motor Freight, hopefully they'll be able to, like, get sucked yeah. up into some of this, um, you know, the Old Dominions and the, and the other carriers up there, the A. Dewey piles. And we're estimating three to 4,000 employees. Yeah, so that's... Now how many were drivers, like 1,400? Thir- yeah, thirteen to 1,400 estimated. Well, let's for, don't forget, we're in a driver shortage, the average those age guys being, what, 56? Those guys can get a better... They a job easier have much than trouble, hopefully. But no, yeah. <laughs> not the drivers. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, well... Um, uh, good luck, uh, New England Motor Freight uh, employees figuring it all out. And uh, 
Well, just everybody, all the shippers and stuff connected to them. Um, we have three articles covering that uh, event uh, coming out this week. It's been a hot topic. Um, <clears throat> one, uh, one interesting, um, speaking from the venture capital point of view, that we like to cover. We thought it was a pretty significant uh, headline this week. Was the um, you know the self-driving, the autonomous truck startup too simple, uh, just making it seem too simple. They, they raised $95 million, I believe, in a Series D um, and breaking the unicorn so-called $1 billion valuation barrier. Um, do you guys know anything about too simple? Uh, not a lot. Well, Other you know than what I read on Freightways. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, that must have been yeah. a lot. Um, uh, no, I, they, they, you know, for all of the different um, folks that were, were like made a lot of media headlines in 2018, too simple was really quiet, kind of, kind of behind the scenes, you know. But <clears throat> suddenly, um, you know, as 2018 turned into 2019, been hearing a lot about them. One of the things about them, besides raising a lot of money. Um, they're, they're, uh, they're, I think their R&D, their research and development team, is, is based in San Diego, but they are a Chinese-based um, company, and they are running three to five commercial loads, they're claiming, of auto autonomous loads um, each and every day. Uh, you know, like with this, I, I don't know the extent and the details of which they're doing this, but they're making it sound kind of Easy. Are they doing it in short hauls? That was my question. Is I couldn't tell, mm, like, because most populated areas. Well, yeah, most of the uh, sure, probably the, all of the above. Yeah, with, most the uh, most of the stuff that I've I've seen and, and talking with you know people at Daimler and stuff like that, it it makes more sense that you you can run an autonomous uh, yeah. run in a short distance. You know, if you're and especially on a low traffic. Kind like of, uh, in Arizona, on all the uh, the square neighborhoods. Well, yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and well, also drayage. Drayage is a good use case because it's a consistent one, you know, A to B, same route every day. Well, you know now. what? Let's find out some of these uh, answers to these questions that we're asking ourselves because Too Simple seems to have some kind of secret sauce. <laughs> they raised a lot of money. A lot of serious people are putting serious money behind them for a reason. So, you know, I, I will say that one of the things that I'm looking at at 2019 in terms of autonomous is one of my, like, working questions is, or, or like, I'm I was hyped about autonomous in 2018. I'm suddenly growing a little concerned about it. Why? Well, I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, you know, like, I guess... Um, as we were covering it, I was like, come on, technology. This is so exciting. Wow. You know, this is going to change the world. It's going to revolutionize it. And, and, and the occasional trucker that would say, well, it's going to, you know, displace our jobs. I was like, no, it's not. You know, there's going to be more jobs made. The more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm absorbing it, the more I'm thinking of historical precedents and all you know what? I think that it will displace jobs and not just truckers' jobs and not just the ones that they don't want to do. I think it will displace jobs. I think it will displace other industries as well. And I think it might be. I mean, it's not like the, the clones are marching in to take us over, but I think it's a little scary. You read the reporter article, didn't no, you? The I one didn't. that said that we're going to replace reporters, didn't you? Uh, I, no, I watched Blade Runner too. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, just kidding. So the thought of, yeah. the thought of um, something's going to happen in 2021, I think. Uh, no, um, 
<laughs> uh, it's, life is not going to be anything like what we thought it was. We thought we think it is. Anyway, um, robot podcast hosts <laughs> in 2022. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, there's there's uh, some some like Bloomberg terminals and some other um, agencies are actually using ro- robo reporters. Thank you, Chad, for that <laughs> okay. story today. So the, the Michael Crosby, in fact, isn't even a real person, but you don't know that. Um, so losing jobs is a fear, not necessarily an eighty thousand vehicle going down the road with nobody in it? Is that what you're oh, saying? Oh, right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, you. I actually think that once they figure that out, it will be safer. Yeah. It will be statistically safer. I mean, guys, every time you get out on the road, somebody, you, you, you probably have an incident, right? I mean, humans are crazy yes. on the road. I wish they'd automate the idiot that drives <laughs> slowly in the, in the fast lane and things like that. You know, that would be great. But, yeah, there we'll is there is week, that, you know. Um, <clears throat> okay, well, let's not get started on our driving <laughs> habits. Um, <laughs> um, well, Zach Strickland, let's try you oh. off on another round of big deal, little deal. What is the deal with you? Um, and what is the deal with you, Zach? We failed at our very oh. first attempt at big no, deal, little deal. It was my deal. second attempt. You keep oh. forgetting I'd already done no, this. No, of of big deal, little deal. Uh, you've even had you've even done a big deal. Okay, yeah. this is. And did you fail the first no, time no, too? We Got it. Oh, it was okay. A, it was so, a minute and fifty something. Okay, so you're batting five hundred. Let's spin it positively. Yes. Um, okay, uh, so you're not failing at a fifty percent grade. No, you're batting five hundred. Yeah, okay. <laughs> See the way I did that. Um, positive. Okay. Um, ready. Norfolk Southern lays track co- for, tracks for cost cuts, service improvements with 2021 strategic plan. Big deal or little deal? Big deal for fourth largest railroad in the country. It's also going to mean a lot of cut jobs and efficiency. <laughs> J.P. Morgan executive director to lead trucking freight futures for freight waves. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. Getting a buy-in from an executive that has over 20 years of commodity experience is a huge backing for freight futures. Maersk begins inland water services across River Ganges in India. Big deal or little deal? Little deal in America. Huge deal in India. Uh, the amount of money involved in here in the billions, $120 billion, is never a small deal. Maersk is investing in brokerages. Big deal or little deal? Little deal. Uh, Maersk is a huge company, and they should be buying these little small deals. Okay. Franchising your mailbox might put the USPS out of business. Big deal, little deal. Little deal. The, post, the Postal Service should focus on expanding its financial services like money orders, uh, international money transfers, and bill payments. Truck stop owners feeling the high-tech heat. Big deal, little deal. Big deal. They're dealing with autonomous vehicles, which is going to, well, change everything. There are a lot of new things coming. We just don't know the time frame. Oregon aims to create an export market for marijuana. Big deal, little deal. I'm going to say big deal. Many advocates think federal legalization of marijuana could come as soon as 2020. And if that, if and when that does happen, Oregon is set to become a major export market. Meal and respirate fight continues as California Teamsters asked Ninth Circuit Court to overturn. Big deal, little deal. Well, big deal in deciding whether a state law or regulation will cause an unreasonable burden on interstate commerce. The secretary may consider the cumulative effect of implementation of the state law or regulation and all similar laws and regulations of other states. We did it! I can't believe it! Wow. Even with my my little pause. Stumbling, (laughs) rumbling... Uh, uh, I was like, lots of multisyllabic okay. words. <laughs> hour forty-five minutes. Too much. Uh, nice. By the way, uh, thanks again to Redwood Lo- Lo- Redwood Logistics for uh, for sponsoring us and just for you know 
all those uh, all the the support that they 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 provide us and guys um wow we called an audible and i feel like we scored a touchdown good job <laughs> if i may pat uh, ourselves on the back um but jp we miss you we look forward to having you on next time signing out crosby great to have you on <laughs> for your inaugural debut zach Strickland, the Sultan of Sonar. Great to have you guys on. It was a great yin and yang. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck. Truck.